Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I'm Jay Warmke. And I'm Annie. You certainly, <laughs> you even have a last name. name. <laughs> well, today we're going to talk about thriving or every day in every way, I'm getting better and better. How's I don't that? think that's what thriving well, means. Well, uh, you, you know, but I thought it was kind of cool because I looked that up because, you know, that's one of those little trite little sayings that you hear. And apparently it's attributed to a fellow named uh, Emil Q, who um, was talking about um, basically spontaneous auto-suggestion. That was his thing, saying, if you tell yourself you're feeling better, you will feel better. Well, In fact, he was, a, he was a pharmacist and he s began to see the value of placebo. So he would give placebos to his, his customers. He was in France. So he's a real pharmacist. Away from, yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, so, so he would give them and he would put a note in it telling them how effective it was, you know, and, and then he started to see that he could treat these people and they would get better. So he set up a clinic and he was treating literally tens of thousands of people for free on how to feel better about themselves and how to thrive. So it's an appropriate little quote. Well, there's a lot of science to that being true. And if you think about it, that you talk to yourself an average of 15,000 words a minute. And if you're telling yourself you're a piece of crap <laughs> at 15,000 words a minute, or you're selling or you're telling yourself, I feel good. Um, it's got to have an impact. It definitely ha on the Im immune system, on the people around you. But the thing I will say is there's this uh, guy, um, Dan Butner, and um, he wrote a book called Thrive. And he said sort of the same thing as you, that thriving is really about believing that tomorrow is going to be better than today. And I absolutely disagree with that because I think it's so much more than that. And that's what we're going to talk about. Oh, today. I thought you were disagreeing that tomorrow's going to be better than today. No, I believe. Well, I you're pretty good at saying the, today's great. You know, today's wonderful. Right, but I, I'm not thinking. I'm not living for the future. Yeah, I'm saying today, this moment that I have in my life feels really good to me, or I feel really positive, and I, and I or I'll say I'm I'm super content. But I I just feel like if we're always living in the future, then we're missing a whole lot right now. Well, so it seems to, to me, that. yeah, it seems to me in our society, and, and we've had this conversation before, we seem to have a weird mix going on, and I don't see how, where people feel like they're the center of the universe, they're the most important thing in the universe, everything is about them, they have no empathy for other people, yeah, but, <laughs> but they also have this amazing amount of self-loathing and insecurity well, and you're going how is it that you feel like you're the most important thing in the universe but you hate yourself well, i don't quite get that is that we're like so far out in the wilderness of where we need to be and so i i want to talk a little bit about it's like, that like trying to make sense out of insanity yeah which you can't do okay so talk a little bit about that all right i will <laughs> um so so the thing is that in order to thrive it takes a plan. I don't think these things just happen. I think there's the idea that you have a mission statement in your life that you tell yourself, this is who I am and this is where I want to be. And I don't think we're taught to do any of this stuff that I'm about to talk about. So my mission statement came in 
1980 when I read a book by Del Martin, um, a, a sociologist who uh, wrote a, a groundbreaking book called Battered Women. And, and I was one of those women that appeared in those pages, even though she didn't use my name. And when I finished reading the book, it just occurred to me that I didn't care where I had to go or what I had to do, lie, cheat, cheat, steal, whatever it took, I was going to make the world different for women and their families before I left this earth. And that has been my mission statement my entire life, every day of my life. And, uh, and it's been profound. It's led me to do a lot of big things, but then that leads to the next point, And that is you got to have a plan. If you just think you're going to live in this culture, and, and I'm speaking of this culture, not other cultures, but you're going to live in this culture, you have to design for yourself what you're going to tell yourself and what you're going to do. You can't know all the things you're going to do, but like I could say, I want to uh, build a house out of trash. You know, that's no, no one, no one would do that. No, just, just us. But (laughs) I want, I want to get women out of prison who killed in self-defense. You know, people thought that was insane, but it wasn't insane. And I, and I made it happen through a lot of effort and pain and agony and, and sometimes my own self-loathing. But so a plan, you got to have a plan and you have to figure out what am I going to tell myself uh, on a daily basis? What are some of the things that I need to change some of those little electrical pathways in my brain that lead me to talk in such a negative way, 15,000 words a minute, and switch that into something more um, pleasing, more powerful, more encouraging. I think that's valuable. Then the other pieces are we have to make friends and we have to act actively work at making friends. Lots of people live in the same community and they have family and they're their friends. It's not enough. We have to have a broad base of people who influence our life and support us and understand a broader person that we are outside of this family unit or this neighborhood. And then we need people who are going to to offer support. They are not our friends, but they may be our accountant. They may be our lawyer. They may be the governor, whatever, but we need those people to support our plan. And then we need to do this, take risk. We Mm -hmm. must take risk. If you want to thrive, you must take the risk to do those things that you think. It's like people talk in bumper stickers sometimes, and they think because they said they were going to do something, then it's happened. It's done. Right. It's like, no, it's a bumper sticker. And so, so what happens then is what we have to do is to kind of draw back and say, well, where are there people who are thriving? I can't say that in this country that I can think of more than maybe two or three people. Well, don't you have to, don't you have to define for yourself what that means, what thriving means? That's Mm -hmm. what the plan involves. And that's what the risk taking involves. Because it may not be financial. It may be emotional. It may be It's not financial. If it is financial and that's the only reason, then you're, 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 lost in outer space because it cannot be rooted in money. We do need to have enough to take care of ourselves, but it is not how we have a valuable, thriving life. Well, it sounds like what you're saying is the the process of thriving, it, it's very similar to the process of being successful in business. You, you come up with a goal, 
you initiate a plan to achieve that goal, and then you gather a team around you to help you achieve right. that goal. Right? Or you'd be like Steve Martin and said, how do you get a million Yeah, bucks? first make a million dollars. Yeah. Then right. don't then, pay your taxes. That's right. right? <laughs> so, so, in a not, so this book that I recently read called Thriving um, had looked at a number of these huge studies that had been done across the world. And um, and they e examine the subjective enjoyment of life, including feelings correlated with happiness and how nations around the world compare with one another in terms of happiness levels or thriving levels. And it's really interesting. They looked at a Gallup World Poll and Latino barometer. barometer a Latina poll. Yeah, a poll. Mm -hmm. And a Euro barometer statistical poll and a world value study. And I think what they, they came up with a lot of things that were based on looking at also, he looks at uh, Denmark, Mexico, San Luis, uh, Obispo. Obisco. Obispo. 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 No, Obispo. I just said it wrong. Anyway, talk. another and place. Singapore. Uh -huh. And he looked at people in those four areas and he did um, a series of interviews anyway. So some of the things that he found which I believe are really the root of where we have to be in our culture is um, if we want to be thrive, feel like we're thriving and have genuine happiness. First of all, we have to look at family relation and relationships and spiritual groundedness. And this is one of the things that we sadly lack because we have lots of religion, but we don't have a spiritualness in this country. There's also needs to be, there also needs to be a personal sense of freedom the freedom to to do these things, to experience things, to take risks. Um, there needs to be laughter. I mean, genuine happiness requires a certain degree of laughter and just enough money for your basic needs because they saw that. But not too much. No, not too much. Right. Because then it's like it having becomes, too many choices. It's, yeah, because mm -hmm. then it becomes your life to control it. But when you have just enough, then you are able to do a lot of other things. Also that um, work, you work just enough. Otherwise you're wasting your time when you could be doing something that feels good for your body or your soul. And that was a huge value across the board in all of these four places. So, so some of the aspects of living that give rise to genuine happiness comes through communities and living situations. So there needs to be a tolerance of other races and lifestyle, and it correlates with happiness in many, many of the surveys that they did across the world. Uh, a sense of community. And so in the, the town in California, one of the things they did to galvanize their population and create a sense of community was um, to create civic, proje civic projects. They also say it's important that communities minimize signing and advertising because it contributes to um, a minimizing of consumption and fast food, eating fast food. So that is fascinating, I think, because it occurs to me when you go anywhere, and this is something we noticed a lot in Europe, um, that there are no billboards. Maybe there are today, but there weren't then. There weren't. St. Nicholas is walking through the town and there's no Coca-Cola yeah. sign hanging from him or anything like that. But there are studies that show that these, this lack of signage and this lack of advertising actually does 
uh, impact consumption and fast Is it food. just the advertising? Or I guess what, what occurred to me when you were saying that is I was taking a walk along a bike path um, in beautiful Athens, Ohio. And, uh, and there are all these signs there that it's right next to a golf course. And there are these signs saying, you're not allowed on the golf course. You know, it's like, you better not stray onto this because this is only for those people willing to pay $40 to, uh, play golf. And I, and I kept thinking, you know what, that's kind of, that's kind of crappy, you know, it's a a very negative message. Yeah, And I'm like, I'm having a nice time. It's a nice walk. I wasn't going to go on the golf course anyway. And now you're telling me, and if I was so inclined, I just walked past the sign anyway, because what are they going to do? Shoot you, you know, so, well, but think about this. Uh, if you, you're driving through, a. a an, uh, an urban area, not even, it could be a rural community, but a, a small town or whatever. You are going to see a lot of signs about fast food. You're going to see a lot of signs about shopping. And it's all going to direct you that you need that thing that's being shown. And they have all these signs now that have movies and even at the gas station. Right. Yeah. You can't fill up your tank you with, uh, with a film. Well, and the purpose of, of advertising at its core is that you are lacking something that you need. Absolutely. Um, they so that said, feels like not thriving. No. And like the, the TV show friends. Um, so the things that those people used in their apartment, which nobody who lives in New York in the way they were living could possibly <laughs> working ever as a part-time waitress, afford, yes, um, <laughs> that they the sales of those items went off the charts because people had this attitude: if I own that, then I'd be as happy and feel as successful as these people in this TV show. Which, if you think about that, it's a really uh, kind of crazy, but it, it was true. Okay. Well, let me make, make a pause here to uh, let everyone know that you are listening to when the biomass hits the wind turbine with Jay and the ever thriving Annie Warmke <laughs> reminding you it is indeed the end of the world as we know it. And thank God. Thank God. So yeah, the end of the world, because the world as we know it, uh, I, I'd have to give it a grade and it's not really thriving. You know, I mean, uh, no, at least our part of the world. F. Are there any grades be- lower than mm, F? Well, I, I don't know that I go that far because things can always be worse. But but it's it feels like people okay. are not necessarily um, reaching their full um, self-actualization potential. Oh, give it How's a that for Maslow's so, curve? So here, here's the thing. The systems in this country, every single system has disintegrated into not really functioning. Everybody's just pretending it's functioning. And... We, our value system is, is floating along with about money and consuming uh, goods. And then the minute you consume it, you got to do more because it's like a drug, you know, you got to take another hit. And so everything in this culture is so focused on that. And all the things that really matter that make us healthy, that make us have a high happiness factor, we, we don't, we don't even know what that is. Well, did your studies get into, you know, what are these things specifically that you need to thrive? Because yes, so I much just, of it's yeah, self-directed. I've been, I've been telling you. Yeah, but you're saying you come up with whatever it is. You come up. Right. But so I'm now I'm going to give you more of a list yeah, because, about what communities can do and, and you as an individual, but limit housing growth. This okay. is like really important limiting urban sprawl and planning for green spaces, which increase recreation. Because if you have sight of a recreation area, you are more likely to have that continual message. Just like go eat fast food. Well, this is, Hey, don't you want to come over here and climb this thing or 
walk on this trail or ride your bike, you know, so there's this, this sort of bombardment of, Hey, it's fun. It's good for you. You'll feel good about yourself if you recreate. Yeah. Um, well, the thing that I saw, you know, and, and that was brought home to me when we lived in England is the way that their planning is done when it's working properly, because it doesn't always work properly is there's sort of a city center with a transportation access point in the city center. But then the growth of that city or village is constricted by a green belt, essentially an area around it to which they are not supposed to expand. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it increases concentration, but it, it makes the, the city itself, the properties within that city, more valuable, you know, they're, they're right, constantly being what used. The value of it is, and it talks at length about this in the book, is the value of having these centers where people come to, yeah. to drink and eat and uh, recreate and that that's a very powerful thing. And the city in California, that's one of the things they actively decided to do was to okay, create. You've mentioned that a city in California, well, does it have a name? San, uh, oh, San Luis Obispo. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. Um. Well. Well, well I'm I guess sure there are um, other towns, but that's the one in the. Book. When I compare this concept of basically um, centralized, constricted um, growth patterns to what we see so often in the United States of essentially a sprawl along major arteries, especially so when you talk wrong. about the. Um, the commercial sector yeah. and, and then people begin to sort of m keep moving out, but the part that's left behind sort of withers and dies. It, right. it becomes tattoo parlors yeah. and payday lending and the whole city becomes, it feels, well, it's, it's dysfunctional. It, it's, it's almost like it's growing beyond its ability to support itself. Well, um, it is because yeah. it's a center creating a center. That's what works. So, mm -hmm. so some other things that are really valuable, which this country is, is horrible about, especially in our schools, is happy people have access to the arts. They have access to music. They have access to all kinds of amazing things. Um, and their, their houses and their buildings are attractive. And I don't mean like they're, you know, huge pieces of art but they have a coat of paint on them there's they aren't boarded up they're so are you saying they're happy because they're living in nice areas or they're living in nice areas because they're happy because it looks like things are valued it doesn't matter right. it could be but which one causes which well i think it's which comes first first the horse or the cart i i think we have to have we have to place value on the arts and some of that is how we are surrounding, planting trees, planting flowers, providing access uh, to these things, and also volunteering our time, investing ourselves in it. So are you saying then that government and communities, not necessarily government per se, should should focus on that and say, listen, it is the aesthetics of where we live is important. Absolutely. And, yeah, I always say pretty fi. Yeah, you know, plant some flowers. Like it when the, like in New York when they cleaned up the graffiti and they find that, you know, crime goes down because yeah, yeah. because now because it feels cared for. Well people they they look up and go, wait, what's happening? Something happened here because things are looking better. And I think that's what we have to do is help people lift themselves up.
Also, good sidewalks, bike lanes, slower and less tra traffic actually decreases um, what's happening in a negative way, like you just said, and increases the positive behaviors that you want to see. More people walking, more people biking. Um, so again, it and this is often the role of government, which government has completely washed their hands of any of this kind of stuff. And then you're talking about building a town square. I mean, that's the first thing Disneyland did yeah. was build Main Street. So, well, but to be the devil's advocate here, if I'm in in a small town government administrative role and and you come in and say, you know what, to make everybody thrive, to make people happy, you need to be out there building sidewalks, planting flowers, um, prettifying the city. And, and you're going, listen, I don't even have enough money to pay the electric okay, but bills. But that's poorly run then. It's poorly run because oh, if the focus- Well, now you're fired as my consultant because you're telling me things I don't want to well, hear. Well, that's what consultants do. Believe, <laughs> right? you, believe you me, and I'm good at saying the truth. Uh, uh. So, But that's what the problem is, is that we're focusing on the money. We're focusing on the things that do not provide value for that money that we do spend. And so- more uh, more to the list that I've got here. One is subsidizing home ownership so that it's not absentee landlords that don't give a rat's butt about any. <laughs> <laughs> I put my hand up saying, okay, <laughs> don't, don't finish. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, about the neighborhood or the houses or anything like that. Also quality primary, secondary, and university education that's accessible and affordable. You know, these are all things we're going to get an F on. Um, striving for status and economic equality so that all people in the most reasonable way have status that have a place at the table that like home ownership. An awful lot of people would probably like to own a home and would have a whole different attitude about their neighborhood if they did. Um, building an environment of trust. And one of the things that they found that if a person does not feel safe, they are not going to take the risks it takes to be happy and thriving. Well, isn't that just back to that Maslow's hierarchy? You know, you've got, I need to have enough to eat. I have to feel safe. I have to have a secure place. I need shelter. And then I can begin to look at self-actualization and and right. how it's to. A, that's the basics of life. And, and without yeah. that basic foundation, you you don't have the ability to move on to the other things. And you also are probably not surrounded by people who get that as well. So they're all working at the same level of distrust and fear and not having access to what, what they need. But it's also about understanding the rules of a civil society and the consequences for breaking those rules, that there's a certainty that in, there's a certain amount of enforcement by the law that you have to, as a citizen, abide by certain things. And sure. we live in a culture where that is completely broken. Well, down. it feels, and, and this may be just old fogey talking or whatever, but it feels like <laughs> that part has broken down relatively recently or or maybe in the last decade or two where, where you know, just basic civility is no longer is no longer um, present. You know, I I was commenting driving back from a, a class that I taught where people merging onto the highway. I did not see one person who, as they merged onto the highway, gave way to the existing traffic. You know, it's like you will get out of my way. I don't care 
that you have the right of way. I'm here. I'm going to take it. And I saw maybe half a dozen potential wrecks, you know, almost narrowly avoided just because people were not being civil. You know, I mean, it can kill you. I know. And but I think the other piece of that is that we live in an education system that does not promote any kind of civility. It doesn't talk about uh, contributing to a community. It doesn't talk about voting and what we should do as citizens. There's none of that. Um, There's none of that. The, the civility where, and people are not taught about being polite. Anyway, just to move on, um, one of the things that they also found in these different cities is that in different countries is you live your values. People live their values. They know what their values are. Some of them are somewhat placed on them, like in a city like Singapore, but then there are good outcomes that come. So there's a big detriment if you don't live your values a big detriment to happiness and thriving. And you have to set your priorities and values. And then you live your life as that's your lens that you look through everything that you do. Mm -hmm. And so when I say, you know, uh, I'm going to change the world for women and their families, I don't care what I have to do. That's the lens that I pass everything through in my life. And it, it just really helps me have a sense of direction. Sometimes too many opportunities, but it definitely gives me a sense of direction. Well, one thing that I saw when we lived in Europe, which I found was was sort of fascinating, is it seemed like um, in France and to a lesser extent in England, it seemed like that there was a, a real awareness of a social contract from people yes. to their society yeah. where, you know, they would say, I do not resent paying taxes because I receive something back and my society is better off for this situation. And that must have somehow been ingrained in them very early on because it was an unquestioned uh, civil contract. Now, I don't see that same thing here in America, where in America, it feels like we are told over and over, it's everyone for themselves, grab what you can grab. You know, if you're not successful, that just shows that you're not, um, you know, you You don't have, yeah, you didn't measure up, you're weak, you're, you're stupid, you're whatever Uh you want to be. And, and, and when people will say, I've heard, you know, a lot of the things you're saying we should do as a society or a government should do. And folks will say, well, we simply don't have the resources to make that happen. But we always seem to have the resources to fix these things when they when they explode. But we have know? the resources. We have a problem with the distribution of those resources. And the priorities. Well, that's part of the distribution yeah. where we say everybody should have what they need. And we have enough. But we only have five people and we have, you know, five billion people who need that distribution of some of that wealth or some of those resources. So it's really an issue of, of, of distribution. So I have to ask myself, you know, when I think about this country um, and our, our broken systems and our inability to adjust, where's the hope? And I have to say it's in us as individuals. It really is saying, I'm going to have a mission statement. I'm going to live a plan that I create for myself. And I'm going to work with the people around me and uh, and find support in that. And I'm going to take risks 
to take time not to work all the time and do something fun or take care of my kids or whatever that is. And I think there's great hope in the next generation. So your hope is basically be the change you want to see in the world. Right. It's all going to come from the youth. Okay. Well, you've been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke. We want to thank our ever hopeful um, and thriving Emmy Award-winning producer, Adam Rich. And we want to thank you for spending just a little bit of time with us. And as your grandmother hopefully told you, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is... Play nice with others and believe in yourself. All right. Till next time. Bye-bye. You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at blueRockStation.com.